Reverb is such a fascinating topic to talk about because as musicians, especially when we start working with digital things, we're trying to create something that will sound sort of realistic. And space is the first thing that makes something realistic because every time you're listening to music, live music or, um, well, just in space, in real space, in real physical space, there is reflections around you, so things sound differently than if you would just plug them into the computer and just record them directly. That's why we record acoustic guitars, for example, just by recording with a couple of microphones rather than just connecting them. And then when you're creating electronic music, creating space is quite an intricate and delicate thing to focus on and to work on. It's about different frequencies and how they vibrate and what is the sound like? What is the room like? And so this conversation with Loki from PolyEffects is fascinating on that stuff because he is quite particular when it comes to reverb and he was researching reverb and the synthesis of reverb for many many years so the result of his instruments is quite remarkable. He also has a whole community of people who create modules, like not, yeah, modules and and patches for uh, for his platform, for the for the PolyEffects platform, and uh, they come in two versions. So one is a pedal for guitars, and the other one is a modular Eurorack uh, compatible uh, module. <laughs> And the sound is quite astonishing. And the fact that there is a community behind it that builds all sorts of things that people who are maybe not technical that much can just tap into this knowledge and just try things out is quite amazing for me because I'm really into education and communities and trying to figure out how to get people who don't really have the knowledge yet to get started. So it was really interesting on a lot of different um, topics to, to talk to uh, Loki about this. Um, there is a bit of an awkward ending to this conversation because my partner was calling me from the other side saying that she's about to give birth and our second child was born just 45 minutes after this conversation was recorded. It is quite a special conversation and was actually happened uh, four months ago uh, and it was really hard for me to release it because I did not know how to edit this ending. So I just decided to keep it as is. It's a bit awkward in the end, but the whole conversation is like a really uh, deep dive as we try to do here in the Synth Design Podcast on the design thinking and engineering thinking behind the different instruments that Loki was working on. So thanks so much for tuning in and thanks so much for everyone that just joined because we're now actually 2000 people on YouTube, which is amazing. So it's really nice to see a lot of different faces and it's really cool if you comment and say something about it because it's a little community that we have now on Discord and Instagram and YouTube and slowly from me being a, a teacher at the Design Academy in Eindhoven, it becomes a bit larger than that, which is uh, really awesome. So thanks so much for joining us and this is Loki PolyEffects. I look at a synthesizer or an instrument of some type um i want to be able to think okay can i either can i play something like can i play house of the rising sun on this okay that's you know a, that's it's the a, criteria it's a, yeah it, it's a very simple song to play it's got simple chords it's got a simple melody it's got a clear rhythm if i can't play that on it 
then maybe it's not a thing. It, it's, it might not be an instrument I care about. Um, right. I understand that other people might, but um, I have to narrow down my things I care about a little bit. Obviously, you know, there's percussive stuff and things like that. So there's, you know, different areas for that. But um, for melodic or, you know, harmonic kind of instruments that I want to think, okay, can they do this relatively straightforward task? Mm-hmm. And if it can't, well, yeah, next. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think some of my earlier stuff um, was interesting ways to explore some of different techniques, but I don't know if they always achieved the, the goal I was aiming for. Um, and I think nowadays, you know, I'm getting more towards stuff that I really enjoy playing and I use at the end of the day as well. Like I go home and then I'm like, ah, oh, I'm going to play some stuff. And I actually do use the stuff I make. Right. Um, and I think that's really nice. So yeah, I like, I like using it. And then I'm like, oh, I wish it did this thing. And then I make it do that thing later. Right. Do you have maybe an example of something that you, you feel like from the past, from things you've, you've built before that you feel like this was then when I couldn't really figure it out. Like I was trying to reach that goal and it didn't really work out, but it was part of the process of me learning. Yeah, this was a bit of a gimmicky way to achieve a task that I think could have been achieved in, there are better ways to achieve, but I kind of had an idea and I'm like, oh, maybe that'll work and it didn't work. Um, I didn't release this product, so um, uh, this was a this was a failure that other people didn't get to see, whereas some of the other ones people did get to see. Um, can, can can we see it now? Yeah. So these, yeah, have a hole in the middle, right? And uh, there's two of them. Yeah. And they were incredibly expensive to make because uh, they're prototypes and they were a huge amount of development effort and a giant waste of money, but it was an interesting learning experience. Um, and so a drumstick goes through here. Okay. And then they are tracked by lasers. Right. And, and what's, what's the goal then? Uh, so it will positionally track MIDI. If they're, so they're fully positionally tracked. So you can, um, you can mark areas out in space. They're tracked in three-dimensional space. Well, they're, they're all the dimensions, actually. They've got inertia and um, rotation and stuff like that. Six degrees of freedom. Um, right. So that you can um, mark out areas in space and then just play air with drums. Right. So you can just draw, here's the snare, and then you can play the snare there. Got it. You draw, here's your other parts, and then you play them. Got it. Okay. And and did, did it pass the House of the Rising Sun uh, test? You can play the drum part from House of the Rising Sun. I have played the I, I have played them live. Yeah. Okay. There is video of me somewhere at a pub playing them. Um, what, what's um, What's your background? Are you an engineer? Um, I did my thesis. Well, I did my research at uni on um. Uh, on drum synthesis. Okay, on drum synthesis. Got it. So okay. computer music. Yeah. Computer music. Uh, yeah. Is I studied. Okay. Um, I studied languages as well. Okay. But yeah, computer music. Yeah. Um, so synthesis so, stuff. Yeah. So, so then, uh, expressive came right after this. 
Yeah, actually, so that was um, so that was the kind of way of um, electrifying by electronic drumming on anything. Mm -hmm. um, before that, I made um, some virtual reality instruments. Mm -hmm. um, what do you think about that? that? What, what do you think about the trend? It was like a, a couple of years ago, really trendy. Maybe it still is. I don't know. I'm not really in that field um, anymore. I was that trend. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I think um, nobody else who may, well, at that time, I don't know anymore because I haven't looked for a very, very long time. But when I was first doing it, um, nobody else who was doing anything in, in virtual reality instruments were from an instrument background. Mm -hmm. um, they were from like, you know, uh, movies or games or something like that. Mm -hmm. And then they were like, hey, we could make a drum kit out of this. Mm -hmm. But they didn't know anything about how to actually make like good low latency, nice feeling mm -hmm. instruments. Mm -hmm. And I thought a lot of the stuff was very much, hey, we'll make stuff that's better in another environment. Because there was, there was stuff where there was like, you can have a DJ controller and it's got knobs. And you're like, cool. So I could either have, I could buy a nice DJ controller from, you know, a hundred different manufacturers. I could get something, you know, a nice MIDI controller from Arturia or Roland or mm -hmm. Native Instruments. I could buy a beautiful thing for Native Instruments for like a couple hundred bucks. Or I could buy this incredibly expensive computer and this incredibly expensive VR hardware and have a kind of crap experience. <laughs> Which one of those do I want to use? I just felt lots of that. That was what I was talking about, about gimmicky. I felt like lots of this skeuomorphic stuff where it was just like, let's do the exact same thing in VR. It was idiotic because the good thing about virtual reality was that you weren't constrained by how you, how you could build stuff in the real world. You didn't have to use little knobs anymore. You didn't have to have these, you know, very limited um, interactions with, you know, switches and stuff like that. You had so much more expressive potential, but nearly all of the instruments that were thinking about it didn't think about design. They weren't coming from a designer of new instruments point mm -hmm. of view. They were just trying to copy real, you know, ones that existed in the physical world and put them in the virtual world. Right. Um, and I did that a bit because I wanted a nice drum kit and I didn't have enough room in my house for a nice drum kit. So I made a nice drum kit in VR. Um, and that was actually, it was kind of, it, it was quite nice, but was it better than um, a number of other electronic drum kits? No. Um, it was smaller. Um, if you're already using VR for something else, then it might've been fine. It, um, mm -hmm. uh, it was, you know, it's much harder to get people to pay for than a, a physical drum kit. Um, it costs more money to develop than a physical drum kit. So uh, it was much worse for the, for the, from the business side of point of view. It was absolutely garbage from that point of view. Um, don't make virtual reality instruments. They cost a ton of money to make and they don't sell for anything. Um, good lessons, good lessons. Good <laughs> but, lessons. Um, the, the stuff I did design using virtual reality um, was worthwhile designing. It was a very interesting way to do stuff. Uh, because it allowed me to easily design stuff easily. It's a perhaps not entirely accurate term, but design stuff um, without making physical prototypes and then try them and feel what sort of feel what they felt like in a real space where you have an idea of scale and interaction. Mm -hmm. And then you could think, huh, I should make a physical one of that thing. That's actually pretty handy. Um, and that's how I started Expressive. Right. 
So expressive started out as actually laser tracking a whole stage. Okay. If you see the uh, of the early prototypes, I actually just had a laser tracker up strapped to my foot. Right. I, I, everything I saw was on Instagram. So uh, there I actually yeah. just see that. I think it's like a touch screen or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there might be one picture or something of the really early stuff. But um, at the very start of my Instagram account for that one. Um, so yeah, the first ones were actually yeah, laser tracks. So you'd put the tracker on your foot and then you'd mark areas of the stage out. Mm. And so, you know, if you walked forward in the stage, you could control some, it would send like a MIDI CC that went more as you went cool. forward or something like that. And you could control it because the laser tracking is so um, precise. Mm. You could have tiny little areas that had full sections and you could mark this little square on the stage as having, you know, it goes from here to here and up and down as these parameters. Very cool. I can imagine how this could be super useful for dance performers and like a lot of pop artists, regardless of like uh, controlling like just the fuzz, the amount of fuzz of a distortion of of, uh, of a pedal. Yeah, no, the, the, there was some cute things about it, um, but for the goal of what I wanted to achieve, to achieve with it, it was I realized, hey, wait a minute, I'm using all this complicated. Um, laser tracking technology and really what, what I want is a thing you can press on. Mm -hmm. um, but it was a good way to design, it was a good way to get to test whether that thing was useful or not. Um, so then I made this thing, which you can't really see. I guess you can. No, oh, yeah, I can. Into the light. You have to angle it into the light. Um, so uh, you see, it's got a bunch of squares. Um, and a little box here mm -hmm. um, takes the standard um, uh, nine volt power and puts out MIDI. Right. And it's got Wi-Fi and Bluetooth on it. <laughs> um, and yeah, those those are all handmade by me. I cut those up, and then just um, back then when I was working on those ones, I had a workshop that was this well a little bit smaller than the toilet at this workshop <laughs> and and uh, and these these are basically modified lcd screens or am no, i well, it wrong? kind of yes they're not screens they're, they're, they're you put a piece of paper in them this is a if i can get the piece of paper out um there's a piece of paper here. okay it's just that it's just that um, the it's a resistive touch screen, so it's just the touch sensor of a screen. Oh, cool. So yes, it is a touch screen, but it's just the touch part, not the screen. Part. Yeah, it sounds viable. It yeah, doesn't well, seem like a, like an overkill for uh, it's actually it makes much more sense. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So then you just print out the things you want or draw them on, mm. and then you um you know. So it's like so a mini you stage. Need... You don't really need to mark the whole stage and like uh, exactly, track the yeah. whole stage. You just take the small small thing and it does exactly what you want. Okay, cool. Yeah. So, but, but then the, the goal was always to connect it to a, um, uh, to a MIDI controlled device. Yeah, I, originally I started using this one. My, my goal originally for that one was because um, I was jamming with a mate and I was using um, a bunch of effects on my bass. Um, I was playing bass with her and um, I was using Ableton um, or Ableton or Bitwig, one of the two. 
and I was using a push, uh, the push two. Um, so I had it as my main controller and I had lots of things to press and lots of knobs and mm -hmm. stuff like that. But obviously that most of the, those were hard to press while I was playing the instrument. Right. And I was playing, launching lots of other stuff at the same time. And everything else I could find was really focused on ons and offs, all the MIDI controllers. And I really wanted something that let me have, you know, multi-dimensional control. So yeah. I could have things where I could, you know, change the rates, the, you know, the feedback on a delay or something mm. while playing, yeah. but while, while keeping both hands on the instrument. And the options were either an expression pedal, which gave you, you know, one dimension of control, which you mm. might be able to switch around. So, or a bunch of expression pedals. And so that's why I thought, oh, this could be a good thing. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I can see the logic in it. Then, uh, and this was not a long time. I mean, yeah, it was like maybe five years ago. Yeah. Expressive, yeah. right? Yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah, From there, you're going towards uh, uh, building uh, Bebo? Yeah. So wh when, is, um, when is this break point that you realize, okay, I'm going to go for some, like the approach here is going to be completely different. I need something completely different. Well, partly, so when I was using... Um, there were kind of two practical reasons. Um, expressive is incredibly large. It's very light and very large. And I live in Australia and all the customers were far away from Australia. Mm. I, I don't, I almost never sold a single unit to Australia. Mm. Um, so uh, that meant I had to worry about shipping and it was very expensive to ship. Um, right. So from a like a business point of view expressive wasn't a product i could really i couldn't make enough of them to to you know survive on lentils mm -hmm. um uh because they took me you know maybe a, a day to make and then um it had cost 60 or 70 dollars to ship them mm. um so you know and there's no way to get charge people enough money to cope with the parts required, the time required, and yeah. the, um, the cost of shipping. Yeah. Um, especially because if you if you ship to a, somebody in the United States and say, hey, this is going to cost $70 to ship, they're just like, you're, you know, you're definitely trying to do something dodgy to take $70 to shipping. And <laughs> no, that really is how much it costs. So you had to really subsidize shipping. Yeah, I get it. You had to say it costs $20 to ship because there's no way they'd think the, the actual shipping price is realistic. But, um, and back then I didn't have a good shipping account because I didn't ship enough units. So what's the first sketch you're making of a new kind of product, a new kind of uh, solution? Oh, so, um, well, I mean, from that I moved into to, to Bebo. Mm -hmm. Um. And I just realized that um, I was doing this thing with this, this MIDI controller stuff. And I realized that there weren't that many guitar pedals and stuff that really did a lot of interesting stuff with um, kind of the flexible power of DSP. Um, and I'm like, I wonder why this is. And I'm like, okay, maybe there just aren't many people in that area who know much about DSP. Um, and I'm like, Okay, well, I know DSP, code DSP all day, that's fine. Um, so, you know, I, I was busy trying to work out how to, you know, 
work composites better without making them melt because all of this stuff's made out of crazy composites and I'm not very good at working with them. But well, when I first started off, I wasn't very good at working with them. Yeah. Um, they're hard to drill and stuff like that. But so I, I wanted to, but I'm like, well, I can do DSP programming. That's easy for me. Um, you know, done 20 years of that. Um, so uh, I realized that I, I, instead of trying to control you know, other people's stuff with this stuff, I, I could just make my own stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt like I could make something that was different from everything else out there that would actually be interesting for me as well. Um, cause I felt a bit constrained by some of the other ones. I, I didn't want to necessarily like, like, as I said, I was, when I was playing with, with friends, I, I would have, um, I'd be using something like, um, Ableton or Bitwig and then I'd have other stuff running in that, um, either, um, you know, in, the, uh, so there was a bunch of other windows or Linux stuff that I was running. Um, bunch of plugins and things like that um and i felt like that environment the interaction between those was kind of a bit constraining because i'd have to have like lots of bits of different tech around with me yeah. you know i'd have to have a computer and audio interface and a, a giant pile of other toys yeah. um and if i could get that into a nice single thing that i could put in my bag easily you know I could have a, a bass or a guitar and then I could have something small and powerful. I could have a pedal board with, you know, a drive and a, and a pedal that does everything else. That's and a then, dream. You know, actually. Maybe, That's, yeah. Maybe one or two other things, you know, yeah. I like, um, so on tour, you could actually just, um, in the bus design a patch. You don't need your computer or anything like that. You could just do it on in, on the pedal. And then yeah. just play with it at night in the show. Yeah, yeah, and um, you know, then having something where you can uh, record nicely from, um, play with headphones. Because sometimes, you know, I'd get home late, and I, at that time I was, um, you know, living in a share house. Um, I wouldn't want to necessarily make noise. Having something where you could, you know, play with headphones and stuff like that. Mm was a, a real positive. Um, and so I'd have something, uh, you know, like a nice flexible drive pedal mm-hmm. and then, you know, one or two other pedals maybe. And then the main, it does everything else kind of pedal. Right. Um, especially I realized every time I set up a, um, the real kind of driver behind the design was also, I really wanted my favorite types of reverbs were real spaces, which obviously yeah. from this place, you know, you can hear this one's tons of fun. Um, <laughs> uh, and when we, yeah, the first, when we first got this place, when I, I only moved here a couple of months ago. Um, but when I first got the keys to this place, um, I, I you can't see this. I can move so you can see the ceilings, but the ceilings are, eight meters high or something was this a criteria hey. like i'm gonna rent a place only if i can actually sample it if it's uh, <laughs> yeah if it sounds amazing actually really i just wanted lots more room for giant toys um you come into uh, the room okay we can start talking 
<laughs> it was a little bit like that. Yeah, I walked into this space and I'm like, oh yeah, this is this is a lot of fun. It, when it was empty, it was actually really hard to talk in here. I can imagine it's a bit hard to talk now. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm used to it now. But no, it was um, the reverb was just overwhelming. Um, it, it's it's a lot calmer now. Um, but there's a video on my Instagram. If you check it out, where we sample this space. Um, when it when it was empty, um, but yeah, well, we I, I came in here and then that night um, when I got the keys, one of my friends came in here with me and I brought an acoustic guitar and she was singing and we both sung together and played acoustic guitar for a bit in here. That's cool. Um, but yeah, I really I back to my other bit. Um, I really wanted, I really like convolution reverb. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I first started using convolution as a technique uh, in about 2003, 2004, maybe something like that. Maybe you can um, shortly explain what convolution means to the people who don't know. It's giant piles of horribly complicated maths, basically. But um, the idea is that um, you apply one sound to another sound. Um, that sounds a bit vague. But that's kind of actually what convolution is. You're applying one sound to another sound. Um, So you can do lots of fun things with convolution. Um, One of them is you can grab what's called an impulse response, um, which is just what happens when you have an impulse into a system, like, for instance, this room. So if you pop a balloon, you record that whole thing. or you can sweep it and then deconvolve it. Um, but you pop a balloon or you fire a starting gun or something or clack two bits of wood together, you grab the sound, that resulting sound, and then you put that into your convolution algorithm. Mm-hmm. And one of the sounds in is the the impulse response. And the other sound in is you know, your voice, your guitar or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then it sounds like it's in that room. It has that reverb applied to it. Um, you can use it for other stuff, like a lot of convolution. Reverb is very, very computationally expensive, but you can do uh, um, cabs. So the, like the sound of a guitar cabinet, that impulse is very, very, you can capture that impulse very, very in a very, very short amount of time. So it's not very computationally expensive. You know, uh, 1,024, 248 kind of examples Mm-hmm. will capture quite, you know, most of the information. Actually, I think maybe even mathematically all of the information. You know, because um, it's a small box. Yeah, well, really, you don't want to capture space then. You want to capture EQ. Mm-hmm. Um, because the, the convolution also, you know, it, it can function as an EQ. You can capture an EQ with the convolution. You can um, capture any linear time invariant system. So anything that reacts linear, linearly, linearly, that's the word, yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, anything that doesn't change over time. So you can't capture a flanger with it or a phaser or something like that with convolution without crazy magic um, with normal convolution. Uh, but you can capture reverbs perfectly. and. Um, and like when I mean perfectly, I mean mathematically rigorously correctly. Mm-hmm. 
It's not that's kind of what this sounds like. No, no, that's that's, that's what exactly it. is. Yeah, yeah. Um, obviously, you, you know, you'll have the you'll also have the sounds of the mics that you capture the room with. Mm -hmm. um, but that can also be interesting because you can capture whole chains. You what can you capture. Mean? Well, it, say you want to capture the sound of a, a, a cab on a guitar, a guitar yeah. thing. You'll also capture the mics you have there as well. Yeah. Oh, you mean the chain? The, yeah, 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 the chain of of like signal um, processing. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, sorry, okay. yeah, the signal processing game. So, yeah. so you'll have that, and then you'll cap. Some of the other systems might not have linear element, might have nonlinear elements in them, so they might not capture perfectly. But basically, you can capture the the sound of the microphones, then any sound of any EQs you have on it, and then it, the sound of any maybe the the, the preamp parts that are just EQ ish, that kind of stuff. I wonder what happens if you start using emulated microphones because you have these like I, I forget the name of the company that produces these really high-end microphones you can basically slap it on whatever microphone you want so you're using um, a virtual thing on a virtual thing yeah well mm. well yeah uh, you, I mean you can do some really well that's kind of the convolution technique is how a lot of that stuff is done yeah I can imagine because you can if you have a clean microphone you can you can have a convolution that's the opposite of its result mm -hmm. so you put sound a into microphone sound b comes out yeah. then you know what that microphone does to it yeah it's called slate so you can, yeah 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 so slate, you can yeah. if you put sound in sound comes out you have some squiggle in the middle then mm -hmm. that's what that microphone does to it so you mm -hmm. can apply the opposite and then mm -hmm. you get a totally clean microphone yeah you make any microphone perfect by perfect. removing its perfect by removing its things yeah. and then once it's totally clean you can apply whatever discoloration that you think is magically good yeah from other microphones so so anyway, bebo be sidetrack so bebo actually started now but this is this was really interesting uh, bebo actually started from your fascination with convolutional reverbs and trying to create something that you could actually uh, design uh, reverbs on on the fly you don't really need a, any computer with you or did I get it wrong? Well, I, I mostly wanted something where I could play convolution reverbs back. So okay. I could plug my guitar into something and hear nice reverbs and not need to use my computer. Yeah, right. Um, so I could capture real spaces and other gear, gear that's too impractically large or practically mm -hmm. expensive mm -hmm. to have. You know, AKG spring reverbs are lots of mm -hmm. fun, but they're big and expensive. Um, the EMT plates, mm -hmm. uh, you know, gigantically huge and gigantically expensive. Um, but you can capture them very easily with a IR. They're super easy to capture. You just play a, you know, a sine wave or, you know, a sweep into them and yeah, you yeah. get the sweep out and 15 seconds later, you've got a lovely sounding reverb. Um, so that kind of stuff. Yeah, so it was really, I wanted that feature. Um, and then I wanted some other features because I wanted to be able to control um, what is sent to the reverb, the send, mm -hmm. and have effects on the tail of the reverb. Right. Because sometimes you want to have an EQ on the send, mm -hmm. but often just a low pass on the mm -hmm. send. Mm -hmm. You know, the uh, Abbey Road kind of technique, drop out all the bass going to the reverb. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to be able to have that kind of, all the lows are dropped out 
going to the reverb. Uh, so that meant I had to be able to have sends. So I really thought, okay, well, the way I wanted, so I, uh, the first version of it didn't have the modular interface, the, the ever, all the modules that connect up. Mm -hmm. It was fixed, but you could route thing, you could route levels between the different effects, but you couldn't reorder them. Mm -hmm. So it was a convolution with some other stuff, basically. It was a convolution with a delay and th these things could be turned on and off, but basically it was these six effects or something. Right. And but the goal it, was to go to that crazy level. It, did it have any interface for it? Like, how how would you interact with it? Oh, yeah, the very first one had a touchscreen. Okay. It started off with the idea of the touchscreen as well. Okay. Um, because uh, <laughs> there's a delay pedal somewhere off to my side that I really, it's a great sounding delay. Okay. I thoroughly enjoy it. And it was a big inspiration. It, uh, it's very plugged into other stuff. Uh, I'm not sure if I can move it here. Anyway. Oh yeah, no, I can. These cords are longer than I thought they were. I'll plug that. I'll unplug some of these ones. Um, this wow, yeah. mm -hmm. is a Pigtronics Evolution. Um, it's a great pedal made by a very interesting people and I like them. Uh, however, uh, there are things that happen. There are controls that you get to by pressing these two down and turning one of these ones. Mm -hmm. uh, not that one, one of the other ones. Uh, yeah, you press these two down and hold this one to get to some of the sub controls. And some of them you get down by, you, uh, you get to a different one by pressing this one and turning this one. And then you get to a different thing by pressing this one a couple of times. And then there are other ones that you get to by you hold a few down things down and you turn it off. And then you turn For it on people again who and... know Morse code really well. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, it's got a lot of knobs and they all interact with the buttons somehow. And it's a really fun delay pedal, but it's massively complicated. Um, and the basic delay in Bebo does a lot more stuff and I can actually remember how to use it. So that was, that was why I wanted a touchscreen because I tried stuff like this and I was like, nope. Uh, I like the sound of this, but the usability is not. Yeah. Um, and I didn't want, as I said, I didn't want to have, um, I didn't want to run everything into a computer um, just because I found um, carrying one around a little bit annoying. Because even like I, um, you know, running like a surface, so I have a nice touchscreen and then like a, over there and I, I like an RME audio interface. It's mm -hmm. still a couple of things to plug together. Um, it, it's a multifunction kind of device. Yeah. And I wanted something that was, you know, kind of more dedicated interface wise. Yeah. How um, many inputs and outputs does it have? Does Bebo have? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's four. Four. Quad channel, four ins, four outs. Mm. And then MIDI and, um, uh, MIDI in and out in USB. Yeah, well, and that's the, actually quite extensive. The prototypes, all... the prototypes actually had an Ethernet port as well. Yeah, so then you could chain them or add another another controller, another input. Well, another like eight inputs or sixteen inputs. Well, the, the the well, you could do that over the USBs, but no, the Ethernet was just so you could have. Um, uh, interesting ways to control them because you could connect to them over a network then. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, 
and you know that'll allow you to do things like Ableton Link and stuff like that. Yeah. In, in so a hardwired way. So the idea is basically to create a tool for instrument design that you don't need your computer with because you could actually design instruments on your computer, but you're saying, I want to build something that will allow me to build instruments without needing a computer because DSPs are strong enough and I can actually program them. So why not? Well, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, there was... The original goals and the actual eventual goals are entirely unrelated things. Right. Um, the original goals were more along the lines of, I want a nice convolution reverb and I want some ways to change the sound in and out of the reverbs. Um, and then I want some effects and then I want a, you know, and a nice delay. And then I was like, well, it's pretty fun to have effects on the, the tail of a delay, like a phaser on the tail of a delay. Mm -hmm. So I started, to, you know, I got more of, the, I added more of those. And then um, to do any of this arrangement, I started to think, oh, well, it's nice to have a modulus in, you know, like a modular environment. Mm -hmm. And then it got into full being a modular sample. Right. Um, and what, then what, yeah. it Go got ahead. to the being a modular synth in a modular synth. Yeah. <laughs> Which is very meta. Uh, but before we get there, like how, how do people who play guitar pedals perceive something so complex. I mean, your rack is not easy to, I mean, if you compare it to a fuzz pedal or a delay pedal, these, these are much more complex to, uh, they, they offer many more uh, possibilities, effects, uh, modulation, and so on and so forth. How do guitar play? Uh, how I, do guitar players expect accept, accept su such a complexity? I do not believe you. I reject your basic premise. Right. Um, because I just showed you that uh, that delay pedal. Yeah. <laughs> okay. With the interface is brutally complicated, and it's a great delay pedal, and it's not one of the more complicated pedals. Well, okay, it is one of the more complicated pedals, but there's more <laughs> complicated pedals. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a good point. It's a good point. This, I this is been my please, main please. this has been my main drive for some time mm. i like this one these are popular and they're fantastic and they're not simple no and in many ways i think they're much more complicated than a lot of common modules like uh, like a lot of common modules you're like like here is a low pass it takes this thing and does this thing how do you control it well you send a level to this input whereas this one it's like how do you control it? Well, you choose that from these dip switches over here <laughs> and these change what these do. These also change what these do. And these MIDI inputs change what that other bit does. Yeah, Chase okay, yeah, is, the, is, of is course, on my Yeah, list. the modules are super complicated, whatever. <laughs> no. So yeah, no, I, I think there's, a, there's an element of marketing and a, an element of poor design in the idea that, um, yes, cables going everywhere look scary. Um, and some Eurorack stuff is obviously horrifically badly designed. Oh yeah. Uh, some pedals are as well. I mean, that's, you know, that's entirely a thing that will happen to everything. And, you know, lots of VST software is, and historically some of my products have been as well. Um, but uh, usability you... is something that you drive for in these things. And I think that's why people aren't, you know, are only somewhat scared of some of the stuff in Bebo because 
I constantly try and make sure that crazily complicated is possible, but easy stuff is easy. Right. I don't like the, lots of designers love Apple and I objectively mostly hate their guts because I think, this is even more opinionated than I usually am, but anyway, no, please no. Do. <laughs> because, uh, because I think the Apple ideology is to make easy, relatively easy and to make the hard totally impossible. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of times you get to bits in their systems where they're just like, well, you're not meant to do that. Have fun. You <laughs> can't go away. We haven't even thought of that. Yeah, it's it's even like uh, you want to me- cut and paste. Well, you can't. Yeah. What happens if you want to plug this into that thing? You can't go away. Um, it, it's, and- it, it, yeah. It, hold on. This is this is very interesting because I think that there are a lot of things that they're doing really well, and this is one of these things that they are very poor at. And it's kind of it's it's a philosophy because you need yeah. like I I I despite Windows. <laughs> I, it's really it's super hard for me to work with Windows because they're not. It feels like they they're not mindful of me as the creator. I want to build stuff quickly, and they just give me all these prompts that I'm like, I, I don't really care about this now. Like, oh yeah, the designer who built this should have solved this for me, so I'll be able to make my own stuff. Mm. Back to you. <laughs> that, that is entirely how I feel about truthfully both Mac and Windows. Um, like I like the first time I, I, you can't see my screen over here, but I have two 30 inch displays as my normal working space on my computer. Yeah. At home, I use a single 55. Okay. Uh, and I want a tiling window manager. I don't want them to end up on top of each other. And I want to be able to control how big they are. And on Apple, like lots of the Apple window manager is such total and utter garbage. Even at least the Windows one has the default Windows one is garbage as well. But at least Power Toys is actually kind of fun, and that's from them. Um, you can set up like areas where you can expand a window to. Yeah. You can have shortcuts so it expands to the bottom right corner, mm. or a shortcut so it expands to the middle. And when you yeah. click expand, it actually expands. Whereas the first time I used Mac on one of these, one of my computers, I'm like, I would like to expand this window. And it's like, it expands to this size. And that's it. No, no. How do I make it take up the whole screen? You can't. And I was like, ah, okay. Um, So yeah, that kind of stuff. I like, like, I understand that there are constraints that are there so that the general purpose user doesn't hurt themselves. However, um, I want to have the ability to do things that the original designer, you know, might not have entirely envisaged. And I want to make the relatively, I want to make the easy relatively easy and the hard relatively possible. Yeah. That's the basic idea. And some, some systems focus on making the hard possible and they forget making the easy easy. Yeah, and some first systems remove. You know, some people, they some designers are like, oh well, you have to make it totally easy for the user, and they don't have to not learn anything. And I'm like, it's for musicians. Like, if you pick up a guitar, you don't know how to play it straight away. I, 
you know, I've been playing instruments for 30 something years and I'm still mediocre at most of them. Like, you know, some of them are very hard. I think, I think that's a very good point. I wanted to, uh, to uh, bring something up. Uh, do you know uh, Daisy uh, from uh, Electrosmith? No. So they've created a very interesting platform for people to build their own instruments. They have, um, they have just the DSP thing mm. uh, on a board for development board, but they also have, uh, I think maybe three or four or five different versions of it where it's basically a stomp box or a Eurorack module or something else. And then you're able to work with wh whatever language you wanna work with so you could work with Arduino to program it. You could also work with um, Max MSP and I forgot, um, a pure data. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I looked at what they do. I was like, this is remarkable in terms of design because you are targeting a very specific market and you're saying for the people who are interested in this space, we give you a world to explore. Because these programming languages are basically super open-ended. And this is for yeah. the people who, you know, they're not just starting out. They're not just playing a fuzz guitar. And they're also beyond the Chase Bliss uh, 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 pedals. What's interesting about what you're doing is actually really in between. There's Chase Bliss, and then there is you, and then there is Electrosmith with what they're doing. Yeah, I think there's, I think there's a ton of stuff that caters for the... Um, people enjoy more tinkering kind of stuff, like being able to change more stuff. Um, I like to be able to make stuff where, um, to begin with, with Bebo, most people who bought Bebo played country. Country music? Yeah, mostly country um, and blues. Right. Um, it was, I expected some of the more ambient types to get into it earlier on, but yeah. they didn't. Um, it took them much, much longer to get any sales from ambient types. Um, so did they actually use it for its full potential or did they just use some templates that you created for them? Um, I say they used it for exactly what they needed it for um, and kind of what it was created for. Um, and No, but I mean, I think, did they actually design their own reverbs there or did they just use yeah. really good sounding reverbs? Um, well, it comes with a giant pile of reverbs, but oh. often, yeah, yeah, they're, 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 it's got a very nice graphical EQ. Um, they change the, it's a nice parametric EQ that's vaguely understandable. Um, and they'd, you know, they'd change EQs, they'd change how paths are routed. Um, a lot of country guitar rigs are actually pretty intensely complicated. Hmm. Um, lots of video control, lots of fun stuff. Yeah. Right. Um, and uh, yeah, I think they, they definitely did do a lot of really fun stuff with it. Um, and there are, there are players who wanted the best sounding reverb. And I think that's an important thing to cater for. I, I think being able to do crazy stuff is fine. Um, my stuff can do lots of crazy stuff. My previous stuff could do crazy stuff. Um, but if your stuff is focused on hey, people can tinker and do weird stuff with it. I don't much care. Um, I want something where people can make 
the best sounding reverb easily. And, you know, a guitarist can have a sound that's excellent and they can do that very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, if they want to do craziness, they should also be able to do that relatively quickly as well. Um, but I want to have, you know, I, I think people should, there are a subset of people that should buy Bebo or some, or, you know, other products uh, because they want to buy Bebo because it's the best reason. They don't care about anything else. And they are going to have one preset that says reverb. And they're going to think, oh, well, well, I want an EMT plate. And this is a lot cheaper than buying an EMT plate. And it fits on my pedal board. And in the studio, I might be using a real one. Or I might just still be using this because they sound the same because convolution, they are the same. Um, and so, yeah, there's a, a bunch of people that want complicated studio gear, but want it pop, you know, portable. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a... Uh, I don't think that's a bad way to use the system. That's not not using it to its potential. Using a, a convolution reverb in a pedal like this is something you know other things can't do. And that was kind of the, the original goal was you know a nice sounding reverb. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. If you have a nice EQ, a nice reverb, and some maybe some cab sims or something, that's that's a lot of um, a lot of stuff you can do. And then maybe you start. Um, you know, adding in a couple of delays. Okay, that's there, straightforward and understandable. And then maybe you start getting into some of the weirder delays. Maybe you modulate one of them with one of the LFOs. That's entirely, you know, that's using the potential to, of the system. And then maybe you want to have, you know, a really weird tremolo by adding, you know, having the chaos coat controller going into the harmonic tremolo or into a VCA or something. Um, I think lots of people can expand from there. Like some of them, there's one, um, you know, country-focused artist um, who, you know, mostly uses it for pretty straightforward stuff for most of their art, their their songs. But in some of their recent album, they're starting to get into some of the weird generative modular stuff. Um, and I think they, that's kind of fun as well. Absolutely. Can can they share? um patches like yeah. is there a community yeah, yeah, that... yeah, you can... yeah 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 people people share their patches yeah yeah you can export them so you just plug a usb there's just you know well usb drive plug mm-hmm. that into the back of the pedal or, or the module and then export patches and import patches um is there, is you can also more... export um you can also share uh your and load um reverbs so there's people who are you know use finding fun stuff to use as IRs, like, you know, uh, here's the sound of a spinning coin and using that as a reverb. <laughs> um, or here's, you know, the sound of bubbles, um, you know, of, of water or rain and things like that. Yeah. And using some of them as reverbs, the sound of a train, the train one was actually pretty fun. Um, and using those, all of those kind of sounds as reverb, there are people sharing those, and you know, there's a pretty active community of that kind of stuff. It it seems like a huge challenge, though, to design the user experience for something so big, because you have the module itself. Well, you have first of all the the pedal, then you have the Eurorack thing, and then mm-hmm. you have an online community that you also need to design something for, so they'll be able to share things with one another. 
how how are you coping with all this with all the design challenge because if i understand correctly your experiences in uh in synthesis and in programming well, or not i'd say some of my experiences in synthesis and programming okay um like uh today my my experience has mostly been in you know screwing things together and cutting things out of other things and then screwing them together and then testing stuff um like um i, I like here we have a, a big cnc router and a big press break and a hmm. I just bought the press break recently and I'm pretty excited about it. Um, <laughs> so like we do all the sheet metal working and stuff here as well. Cool. Um, and we're going to, and we're starting to bring more of that. Like I've got a sandblaster and some presses and a pem setter and lots of other fun toys that I still have. So to you're make. really going to build everything there. Yeah. That's yeah. remarkable. You're taking yeah. it for granted almost. I think that's really, that's really unique. I, I build this stuff with my hands. That's super cool. Like um, everything. And yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I do some programming, but the programming is not the, you know, it's not just like, you know. Stuff. <laughs> Been there, yeah, yeah, like I, I cut up some bits of wood, but I'm not a carpenter. Yeah. You know, but let's and... get, let, let's, let's get back to the, to the UX, because um, I, I think that there is a, there is a good bit of design that needs to go into these. It's not like they look, they don't look like shit. They look amazing. The, the oh, touch screen. Thank no, you. Really? Like I'm looking at the, at the design. It seems very, very straightforward, very simple, but I know how complicated these things can get. It's not, it doesn't take a minute to just draw this in illustrator and just program it somewhere. No, no. I mean, they've, it's taken years and years and years of iterations, yeah. but there's bits, um, no, there, there's bits where there's bits of it, you know, that I've been working on for a long time. How many some of the code I was we... looking at? Yeah, yeah, some of the ahead. code I was looking at the other day was, um, you know, I had I was <laughs> fixing up some stuff with some triggering, um, and that was from code that was from 2004. How many uh, screens are we talking about when we're looking at Bebo? Uh, oh, uh, many. There's uh, there's over a hundred modules. So is there like a mother interface or like a system? That, do you want to maybe... this screen. Yeah, go ahead. I'll show you the other screen, um, yeah. other camera, and then I'll run through a little bit about how things work. Sure. Um, Just a side question. Is there a difference between the the different things? Like the, uh, the Hector and Bebo are they exactly the same in terms of the screen itself? Um, yeah, no, they're, they're, uh, they're very similar. I can show you the differences. Okay. The interface is pretty much the same for the two pedals. The only dif difference is that, um, you know, here the the pedal has a title just because I needed the whole space here. Um, and uh, the pedal has a different physical interaction because the, the panels actually recessed in it. So you can't get to the edges of the screen very well. Mm. Whereas this one, the screen is on top of the, the enclosure just because the pedal needs more protection for the yeah. screen. The screen's actually decoupled from the whole enclosure. Mm. Right. So that if you stamp on the enclosure, none of that force gets transferred to the screen because it's actually in a different section inside it. So there's no direct connection between the top and the screen. Got it. Um, and that's all to you know prevent any force from jumping up and down on the switches getting towards the screen. Um, 
Whereas on the Euro rack, we don't have to worry about that kind of stuff no. as much. Yeah. Um, so I hope this is one with an updated firmware. We'll see. Um, I just grabbed one. Um, so obviously there's this main screen, which is you know the way you interact with stuff, but you can um, you can add modules. And um, so there's ways to search through the modules and stuff like that. Uh, so if we grab one of the more complicated modules. The screen here is divided to two parts. There is the effects on the right side and then on the left where you scrolled, what, what, what was that? Description of the effects? Oh, so these are all tags, so you can search. Oh, okay. These are alphabet, so you can jump to a particular place. Mm -hmm. And these are, yeah, where you can favorite stuff and the description, the name and descriptions of a module. Right, so there are basically three ways of interacting with this. You can either search by name, search by tag, or scroll on the left. Yeah, and I guess favorites is kind of another... Um, yeah. It's kind of a tag, but it's a tag that you create. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, there was a lot of work has gone into improving this. There's been a lot of iterations of the, the adding modules stuff. It's starting to get nicer now, but it took a lot of effort <laughs> from Joe and myself. Joe so is, is, is a graphic designer. Yeah. So there's two of us, mm -hmm. um, uh, both of us are kind of everything. Um, so Joe does um, graphics design, um, but she also does the you know assembly, mm -hmm. um, uh, testing. She's a bass player, right? Um, and you know, lots of the general design and ideas and stuff. Um, so yeah, there, there's a lot of it. You know, both of us do. You know, quite a lot of everything. The mm -hmm. you know most of the. You know, the programming is all me, mm -hmm. but the um, and the you know most of the drawing stuff is is her. But you know, there's a mixture of all the things. Like she creates all the icons mm -hmm. and the logos and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, I kind of um, I've worked as a creative director before. Right. Um, so I kind of I kind of direct the brand identity kind of stuff and the general kind of vibe of the thing. Right. So, so the, both of us design stuff. How, um, how, how does a software developer focusing on audio become... I've never been a software developer. <laughs> but you said you, you, did, you did programming of... I'm yeah, yeah, I did computer music at university, but uh, yeah, no, I, I'd say I've always been a range of different stuff. <laughs> and that's, I think that's why. It's not that I was one thing and came became one thing, another thing. I've always been many things. Right. Um, and I think that's always been the goal. Um, like, um, I grew up in a farm and I already had, always had to do multiple stuff, range of different stuff. Um, yeah, go ahead. I'm, I'm, I'm just being fascinated. Just go ahead. So, yeah, I, I think, yeah, I've always done... Um, you know, I did some, you know, computer science stuff and I did, you know, programming stuff and things like that, but I've always done, you know, the other stuff as well. Mm -hmm. And there's been times when I had to, you know, in the, it's obviously I've been doing my own thing for a long time now, but back when I worked for other people, I had to, 
you know, do some jobs where you know, I do one specific thing. But part of the good thing about doing, you know, your own stuff is that you get to do a range of different things. Mm. So anyway, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, okay, so- I've done, um, I've done in like um, electronic media art and stuff like that in the past as well. Okay. So we have this screen to, to select modules. That's very straightforward. Yep. So we add modules and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, once we get into a module, there's lots of them have much more complicated interactions. Uh, why are you clicking the sequence? Because that one's kind of new. And a chaos controller. That one's a bit complicated. Um, I don't like it. Well, okay. Mm, what else is pretty? Oh, the granules are right. Okay. Um, so, uh, and we can add something kind of generic looking for a really basic. Um, oh, actually, no. I'm going to add this one because I really like the macros layers. They're pretty, and Meta's pretty as well. Ported uh, and Meta. Okay, so that, I've just added a bunch of modules, lots and lots of modules. Mm-hmm. You can see them and I can drag them around and connect them. Mm-hmm. So you can hold you. If I want to connect this uh, input to this one, I can hold this one and then tap that. It will then ask me which input I want audio mm-hmm. and CV inputs. Mm-hmm. So say I'm going to connect this left end to an audio. I can select through this list that I've connected up to that one. So I've now connected those two together and you'll see they've got a line. So you just tap and, you know, it's, all the actions are based on hold like a multi-touch actions. Yeah. So this is basically socket one is now connected to the input there. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if I want to, if I hold it, you'll see these things appear underneath. Mm-hmm. So there's a disconnect, there's duplicate, and there's delete. Mm. And I can just, you know, drag it around. Mm-hmm. Also drag the whole module a little bit there because it's not screwed in. Oh. Uh, but each of these will have their own interfaces as well. For instance, if we're going to macro oscillator, that's based on the icons. mutable instrument one. Yeah, it is. It's based on flats. Um, so, but we make our own custom interfaces for all of them to make them, you know, easy to use. Mm-hmm. So, there's a section here that explains what the auxiliary output has. There's different pictures that show each of the different icons for each of the different modes. So, like chords, is what, you know, pictures of chords, bass drum, obviously, picture of bass drum, etc. And then these ones have descriptions of each of the parameters. There's, these are just sliders. And then these are the modulation ones. There's some stuff that design people often, uh, we chat to a lot of users and watch a lot of people use it. And do you do it online or do you do it physically? Uh, I do it at trade shows uh, physically. I watch videos of people using it. Mm. Um, I watch how people use it on stage. I watch friends using them. Um, yeah, all of the things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I read what people complain about. Mm-hmm. And then I get sad. Um, <laughs> but I try not to too much. Um, so, for instance, say we press this button. And we get these two QR codes and a description of the mod the module. One of the QR codes is for getting to the manual for this module. The other QR code is for getting to a video for this module. Right. 
Um, okay, so if I hold those buttons and then press on this one, I get into the screen where you can MIDI bind, you can expose it to Spotlight, which is the view where you can control multiple modules at once. And then you can add, actually, you can have a numpad where you can enter in direct values. Mm -hmm. uh, people really like the numpad. I know it might not seem like a thing people would really like, but it turns out people really like the numpad. Interesting. They want to be able to add a specific value. Um, when people are like, oh, do you need that many decimal places? <laughs> I just do what the people say, uh, you know. And obviously one of the big challenges I think with designing a lot of this stuff is working out which people to listen to and which ones to ignore and keeping a consistent vision with that. Um, yeah. So yeah, obviously I listen to people and then the ones that agree with me, I do their things. Yeah, it, I guess you need to you need to understand who is the target audience and um, and to really understand who is that person you're talking to because it can be very confusing. Yeah, I think that's a lot of all the branding is around that. Like, um, obviously, the Eurorack modules are black um, because that was easy to produce and that's what everybody was expecting. But the pedals are are, hot, are bright pink, mm -hmm. um, and the they, you know, and the other colors, the, the, the blue, metallic blue and stuff, um, they don't come into it. They don't come in a black because a black pedal is for people that want something from line six. <laughs> um, and line six obviously make excellent products, but they make products for a different market than I do. Yeah, yeah. Or Boss Multi-Effects. They both are great products. And like, you know, I love, you know, I think the guys at Boss are, are really lovely. Mm -hmm. um, and they've always been very nice to me. Well, um, we all grew up on them, so. Uh, well, I, I, yeah, I mean, I grew up on Roland stuff. My first ever synth was a Roland, an MK7. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, Roland is a huge influencer for me. Um, uh, last question about the, about the screen, and I think we need to, to run off, otherwise uh, <laughs> it's getting too long. Um, so I'm I'm looking at a bunch of different uh, uh, screens here. It seems like there is the um, like the 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 language is pretty consistent. There is the one window where you would uh, uh, search for a module, and then one window where you would interact with the different modules. And then there is a variety of modules that each of them will have a completely different um, design based on what they actually need. Am I getting yeah. it right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this, they, they try to have some element of consistency about how the sliders work and you know these icon slidery things we use. Yeah, yeah. The, the multi-touch actions, like all all sliders, like even these these graphical sliders, still have the um, the yeah. media sign actions like that. Mm -hmm. um, the some of them get much more complicated. Like some just have a big pretty slider like that one. Um, yeah, but you're you, you, different design and everything else. Yeah, but you are reusing uh, modules. You're basically reusing things that are being used in other places to to create a consistent language. So when I uh, uh, press on something, I know sort of what to expect from it, like with a numpad, yeah. for instance. Yeah. 
Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. There, there tries to be some element of consistency. It is a little bit difficult because we have uh, yeah, over 100 modules mm. um, that have been created over a period of time. So sometimes we have to go back and um, you know, improve some modules from a very long time ago because they are in an older design language mm -hmm. yeah. than some of our newer stuff is. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that that is a challenge. Like, um, oh, like with the um, like this macro oscillator has, um, it's got uh, tabs at the top, mm -hmm. and all of our newer stuff has buttons down the side instead, mm -hmm. because the buttons down the side were just easier for people to touch consistently, mm -hmm. and people kind of knew where the touch areas were better on those, because that's why we've switched to using them. Like the um, Whereas this one's got these, you know, it's got buttons down the side. Because um, that was, we found that was was clearer for people. Um, so some of the, yeah, there's different iterations of the design language, but they, you know, we try and, and some of the, there is stuff that has, a, these have all got custom UIs, but there are some things that have a generic UI. Like if we grab this chorus, it's got nothing exciting going on. So it's just got a couple of slides. Mm, yeah. Um, so there is stuff like that, but some yeah. things have a generic interface and some things have the, the more comp like obviously the Euclidean has a very complicated yeah. interface because it's, because it's a more complicated concept. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I get it. Maybe we can stop the, the screen share. I think that, uh, this was really valuable. Yeah. So I, I think, um, I think you've seen most of the important stuff. You see this kind of like loading a preset and stuff that, that takes the same kind of concepts as well, mm -hmm. as far as interactions goes. Um, I don't know if there's anything particularly else crazy that I need to explain. They're, the, they're, they're most of the craziest. Um, but you see how we're, you know, basically like this one can modulate that one just by choosing an output and an input. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. So. No, it's expected uh, behavior. I, as soon as you explained how the socket is connected, I figured, yeah, I probably need to just hold and press another module, and then I can connect. Um, I can connect the module, like two modules. Yeah, yeah, the looper has a very different interaction for a few things because the looper is so um, deep. Um, I can show you what the looper looks like if you want. It's it it's kind of a different interaction than everything else. Um, sure. If you, if you want to glance at that, uh, I'll just, uh, I might take some of these, I'll just kind of chart them. Okay. Cool. So, so I have some room. Uh, so, um, um, so, yeah, these work kind of a different way, just so I can have multiple um, things going on. Okay, we're jumping to this one. So you see all of these, these have like custom icons for all of the um, commands that the looper mm -hmm. has. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's, there's sub tabs just like the other ones have. And then there's global settings and stuff like that. So that's a bit of a different interaction. But then you can add multiple loops. I don't know, I'm still a loop there. This has a different interaction though for things like MIDI binding, because see if I hit record here, it'll be recording into that loop. And we've got all these quite complicated commands like multiply, substitute, overdub, one, you know, one shot, you know, much more than a normal non 
Echoplex style looper would have. Mm -hmm. But the interaction in loopers is just massively complicated. And people expect, the kind of people who are into loopers expect quite yeah. a lot of depth. Um, so there's ways that the loops sync to each other and all that other complexity. But also like the MIDI binding is totally different than everywhere else. Because you, you, um, you have to choose whether you want it to function on a single loop or on all the loops. And you can bind commands in different ways. And it's just a different way of working because it needs to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like we have kind of a fixed design language for everything, but sometimes you just have to be like, actually this thing works in a different way than everything else. Got it. Because, because it's just the only way to really like elegantly do CNI. So that's how I found this one. I'm waiting for me to learn there. Yeah, and I can imagine that these things are, are are in development as well. Everything because it's digital. Everything because it has a touch screen. Everything can be changed. So once you get some feedback from people, then you realize, okay, maybe I need to add a signifier here, or I need to change the layout of this, or I actually might need to change the layout of the whole thing because there is now a better idea uh, or yeah, a better convention. Things. Yeah, we change things quite often yeah. when we work out stuff. So. Uh, to 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 finalize, I would really love to learn how would you want this industry to develop in the future. Um, well, obviously, I'd like to keep doing fun things in it. Um, yeah, but try to think. Try to think about. But, uh, uh, try to think about students of mine who are like listening to this and uh, want to build their own thing, and maybe they're like twenty years younger than us and want to just start. Like, what do you want them to invest their time in? What do you wish them to make? Welcome, um, mommy. Okay. I I think you have to make what you enjoy the most. That is my basic gist. Okay. Um, I, I, I really have to go because my partner is, uh, we need to go to the hospital. Oh. <laughs> It's a good thing. Go It's there. a baby. It's a baby. Oh, okay. Congratulations. <laughs> we, we, we will have to finish this later. Okay. Right, take care. Enjoy. Bye-bye. Right. <laughs> Congratulations. See you. <laughs>